All right, well, tonight's service, we're covering Jude. We're not going to get as far as verse 11. We're just going to cover verses 8 and 9, and which is one verse further than we covered last week. So we got as far as 8 last time, but mostly we're looking at verse 9. And, of course, we're going to be dipping out into a whole lot of other areas of, of Scripture to cover some of the questions we told you we would be taking on. We're going to be looking at... Uh, Michael the Archangel and his battle with the devil that is discussed here in the book of Jude. We're also going to look at other questions. There was a question that was raised, was the devil an archangel? And did Michael replace some of his duties after the fall? The last question that I put up on Facebook that we would be answering is, why was this battle over the body of Moses important? So we're going to take on those questions. I asked up there, if there's any others, I didn't see any, but um, I haven't heard that too many people even saw it. So, if you can come up with some questions, you can throw them out there, but I'm not guaranteeing answering them. <laughs> so, we'll see what we get to. Well, let's read this here in Jude, verses 8 and 9. Likewise, also, these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. These are the uh, people that creep in, the, the false folks that he had warned them about. Verse 9, yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now in Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, Michael is called one of the chief princes. We have it, it reads this way, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I have been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now there he's just referred to as one of the chief princes. Michael is the only angel in the word of God that is ever called an archangel. There is no one else in the word of God that is referred to as an archangel. The devil is never referred to as an archangel. There has been supposition that he was and that he fell from that position. And then, of course, from there, the supposition went on, were there multiple archangels? Did Michael take the devil's place? And uh, and so forth. But as far as we know, in the Word of God, the devil was never an archangel. Michael is the only archangel ever mentioned in the, in the Word of God. Now, I want to take a look at some of the names of the archangels, because one of the things we are going to uh, look at, which is not in there, is where did the name Lucifer come from? The, and in order to do that, I want you to see some of the names of the angels that we have. Now, in the Bible, there's only two names. Two angels are named in the in the Bible. There are some angels that are just appear, but they're never named. They may be one of the ones that's already named, or they may be another angel. We don't know, but they're just, their name is never given. They're just saying... They're just in there as the angel. We're going to find outside of the Bible, there are a number of other places that we find names of angels. So, you know, be careful how much weight you put into that. They didn't make the Bible for a reason. Uh, one of the places is the Kabbalah. That is the book of Jewish mysticism. There's also the 20th chapter of the book of Enoch. And that has some mentions of some angels as well. In the let's let's go over some of these names 
of them here. First off, Michael in the Hebrew language means who is like God or who is God or who is equal to God. That's what his name can mean. It can mean any of those three things. He has been depicted from the earliest of Christian times as a commander. He's the commander of the Lord's armies as, as we can tell. Gabriel means God is my strength or might of God. He is the herald of the mysteries of God, especially the incarnation of God and all other mysteries related to it. He is the main one who, who is, as far as identified angels, comes and gives information. He is depicted as follows. In his right hand, he holds a lantern and a lighted taper inside, and in his left hand, a mirror of green jasper. The mirror signifies the wisdom of God as a hidden mystery. Now, here we're going to get into some angels that are mentioned in some of the publications I just told you. Raphael, which means it is God who heals or God heals. And Raphael is depicted leading uh, Tobat, who is carrying a fish caught in the Tigris with his right hand and holding the physician's alabaster jar in his left hand. Again, that's not in Scripture. Um, I believe that came from the book of Enoch. Uriel, or Uriel, means God is my light or light of God. That comes from Second Estrus 4.1 and 5.20. And he is depicted holding a sword in his right hand and a flame in his left. Sealtiel, which means intercessor of God. He is depicted with his face and eyes lowered, holding his hands on his bosom in prayer. And I hope I get this name right. Jegudiel means glorifier of God. He is depicted bearing a golden wreath in his right hand and a triple thonged whip in his left hand. Now there's a purpose for me reading all these names. Uh, Barashael, which means blessed of God. He is depicted holding a white rose in his hand against his breast, and Jeremiah, which means God's exaltation. He is venerated as an inspirer and awakener of exalted thoughts that raise a person toward God. That's in 2nd Estress 4.36. As, a, as an eighth, he is sometimes included as an archangel. Enoch lists... I, I didn't write it, write it down in here. Um, I thought I had... Enoch, I believe, in his... Yeah, there it is. He mentions seven holy angels who watch that are often are considered the seven archangels. And that would be Michael, Raphael, Gabriel, Uriel, Seraquel, Rakuel, and Lucifer. He uses the word Lucifer in his, in his writings. Again, these are not scripture. These are just thrown in there. Now, these are all Hebrew names... And they all contain the word El in the name. El, of course, is one, one of the names of God, like El Shaddai, God Almighty. So whenever you see El, they're including God in the name. Every single one of the angels that we have a name for, whether through Scripture or through some of the other writings, all have El in the name. These are Hebrew names of angelic beings. What do you think the chances are that that's not their real name? <laughs> Hebrew is not the language of heaven. So more than likely, since they were named before the Hebrew people ever came about, they probably had another name, and the Hebrew put a Hebrew name on it. 
So maybe they took whatever their name was, whatever it meant, and came up with a Hebrew name for it. Don't know how all that came about. But anyway, just know that the name Michael is the Hebrew name for an angelic being. That's what the Hebrews called him. And so that was most of what we were doing here to, that I want you to see. Now, it has been proposed that Michael is, and this is one, this is your first blank in there. Michael is the angel of the Lord. In Joshua 5.13, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand, and Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? That's a pretty bold guy to go up into an angelic being and uh, threaten to take him on if he wasn't for him. So he said, No, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face on the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, we don't see that kind of terminology used or that type of action used except for certain angels, One of one, the main one being the angel of the Lord. When the angel of the Lord came on the scene, this is what was, was told them. That they, that angel accepted worship and often it was told that that was holy ground. When Moses saw God on the burning bush, the same thing was said, the place where you stand is holy. Take off your shoes. And so Moses did that. Here Joshua is getting the same thing from the commander of the Lord's forces. So this is one of those verses that seems to indicate it might, there's a possibility that Michael is the angel of the Lord. Now remember, the angel of the Lord doesn't have a name. He's just called the angel of the Lord. In the New Testament, he has the name Jesus. But in the Old Testament, he doesn't have a name. He's not called Jesus in the Old Testament. He's called the angel of the Lord. And then in the New Testament, he takes on the name Jesus. So for him to be Michael is not far-fetched or taking anything away from Scripture. It could be that Jesus is the archangel, known as the angel of the Lord, and other places where he is acting as the commander, known as Michael. But it also may be that he is a different angelic being altogether. So just don't know. But this verse shows the commander of the Lord's forces accepting worship and calling the ground that he's on holy. And so that would be, uh, uh, that's just not something you see with any other angels. I don't see any of the angels who, who come and do that. Uh, Joshua 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was securely set up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, he uses the term Lord there for him. See, I have given Jericho into your hand as its, its king and the mighty men of valor. See, I have given Jericho into your hand its king. How many angels use that terminology? How many angels say, I have given it to you? Isn't that usually something that's held for uh, the Lord? See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king, and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war, and you shall go all around the city once. This you shall do for six days. And then he gives them the battle strategy. Now, it's not uncommon for an angel to come and to give a battle strategy. But it is uncommon for him to say, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. In Revelations 12 and verse 7, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. Now there he just, he, we have the term Michael, 
the Hebrew name, and his angels. It's said to be his angels. So, this is either Michael the archangel, or it would be Jesus. But can you see that it could, it could be either one. And I don't, I'm not going to try and tell you it's definitely one way or the other. It's just a possibility and something to keep in mind about Michael. Because if Michael is the angel of the Lord and the, the Jesus of the New Testament, can you see any scenario in which he is going to take over any of the responsibilities of a fallen Satan? Absolutely not. The, he, he would, Satan would have whatever responsibilities that the Lord wanted him to have. And if he falls out of the way, then he would just find another to give those responsibilities to, not take them on himself. So I don't think there's any, any way in which Michael is taking on any of the responsibilities of Satan after Satan falls. Or that Satan is even in the class of angel that Michael is. I think Michael stands by himself. I don't agree with the parts that have uh, multiple archangels. Uh, arch in the, in the Greek, arche, means uh, highest. It would be the, the highest of angels. And that would be, uh, hear what Michael says. In 1 Thessalonians 4.16, an interesting uh, verse, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. Hmm. Now that's saying that Jesus is going to show up with the voice of an archangel. So is that his voice? That he descends with? Or is the archangel accompanying him and the archangel's voice uh, utters? And with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So that's some things about Michael. Let's take a look at some things about the devil. Again, verse 9. In Jude, yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Now here it just calls him the devil. Now we have Satan as a, as a name for, for him. In Ezekiel 28, 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers, I established you, you were on the holy mountain of God, you walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. So there it lists him as a cherub, not an archangel. Cherub would be a different, uh, one that would seem from a, from an archangel. But he's the, the anointed cherub. Who covers? He's the covering cherub. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. Now, where did the term Lucifer come from? We saw that Enoch had that term in his um, in his writings. Anyway, that that comes out there, and I did not get to see what language that was in because the language actually is uh, is important. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson here. Uh, you may not care about this history lesson. You may uh, disengage it afterwards if you want to. But uh, it may not be a history that you may be as familiar with. But in 382 A.D., Pope Damasus commissioned the scholar Jerome. How many have ever heard of Jerome? To make an official revision of the many Latin versions of the Bible. So it was kind of like in our day, we have a whole mess of English versions. They had a whole mess of Latin versions. And so what the Pope wanted done was, I want one version of the Bible. I don't want a new King James and a new American Standard and a new International Version and a new Living Translation. I want one translation. And so Jerome was uh, commissioned to do this. He was commissioned to go out and to take all the, the Latin versions he was and we're going to make one official Latin version. Of course, this is going around in the Catholic Church. That was the 
the church at the time. So Jerome went off to a cave in Bethlehem where he proceeded to make his translation. Of course, if you're going to you know, do something spiritual, you ought to be in some place in the prom- promised land. So the Old Testament part of which he supposedly based on the Hebrew text, but in practice, Jerome based his Old Testament very largely on the Greek language Septuagint and not the actual Hebrew. Now, the Septuagint was written by Origen. Anybody ever heard of him? Maybe that name sounds a little bit familiar. Origen had produced, he had written the, the Septuagint about 140 years earlier while he was in Caesarea. By A.D. 405, so that was 382 to 405, a little over 20 years. 20 years to write this translation. Year 405, Jerome completed his work, which today is known as the Latin Vulgate, that you probably have heard of. That is the history of the Vulgate. It is far from a particularly accurate translation of the original text. It is more of an interpretation of thought put into idiomatic, graceful Latin. That's a quote. That's not my my thinking there. That's a quote. It is an interpretation of thought put into idiomatic, graceful Latin. But an interpretation of thought is only as good when the translator has a perfect understanding of the thoughts he is translating. So if the translator has a flawed understanding of the thoughts he is trying to translate then his interpretation of thoughts result in a very flawed and misleading translation. For 1,000 years, the Vulgate translation was without a rival. That was the problem. The only version of the Bible that you had for the people of Europe during that time was the Vulgate. They had nothing to compare it to. They didn't have Hebrew text. They didn't have Greek text. They only had the Latin Vulgate for 1,000 years. How old is the New King James? The King James comes from the 1600s, so that's about 400-some years old. Then we had the New King James and all the other ones that came on out of it. So you know how established the King James is in the hearts of many people. That's after 400 years. 1,000 years No other version. That's what you got. So here's where we come to Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12. Isaiah 14 and verse 12. And for all that, you know, I did not copy that into my, into my notes. Can you put it up there? Yes, you did. Thank you. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. This is where we have Lucifer and this is why we call him Lucifer. We look at this as a name. Now, take a look at this word, Lucifer. What is it missing as a name for an angel? There is no L. Do you know why there is no L? (laughs) No L. (laughs) (laughs) The reason there is no L in Lucifer's name is because Lucifer is not a Hebrew name. It is a Latin name which would tell you that it did not come from the Hebrew people. It did not come until the Latin was around. Now, the word Lucifer, the word that is translated in our Bible as Lucifer, 
It comes from the Hebrew word Hillel. H-E-Y-L-E-L. Hillel. It is used, here it's used for Satan because Jerome understood that this verse was talking about Satan. And so he put this terminology in there. So the, the word Lucifer comes from Jerome's Vulgate. This is late 4th century. You don't have any reference to Lucifer up until that time. Even though Isaiah goes way, way before this, you do not have any reference to Lucifer before the 4th century A.D. Because in the Hebrew, Lucifer is not the term that is used. It is Hillel. H-E-Y-L-E-L. Now in Latin, the word Lucifer means bringer of light. In English, the word Luciferus, anybody ever heard that word? I looked it up. It means bringing or providing light. You may, if you break this down, you probably understand. Anybody understand the word ferrous? Yeah, that's, that's a light bearing. I didn't even know Luciferus was a word in the English. I, I went right over to the dictionary and looked it up and copied it right out. I think, did I put that in your outline or I, I probably just kept it in mind? Bringing or providing light, if you want to look that up. And in the, in the Latin, it means the bringer of light. That's what this word would mean. Now, the word Lucifer in the Vulgate and in the Latin, it is not a proper name. It's an adverb. And it's simply a translation from the Hebrew word Halel or Halal. These are found in the, in the Hebrew, um, uh, Hebrew text. Now, Halel is defined by Strong's Dictionary. And, and I'll get this one. In the sense of brightness, the morning star. They use this word to describe what we call the morning star, which is the planet Venus. Because the planet Venus is the star, so-called star, that is visible in the day. That is the last star to disappear when the sun comes up. If you see a, if you see something still lit in the sky and the sun's been coming up, it is the planet Venus or often referred to as the morning star. Now it comes, this word is derived from halal, H-A-L-A-L, which uh, Strong's defines this as <clears throat> to be clear, to shine, hence to make a show, to boast, and thus to be foolish. Jewish sources record the word literally means the shining one. The word can also mean bearer of light, which gives understanding to Paul's proclamation that Satan is able to transform into an angel of light. That's over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and 14. We're not going to go there, but you can probably uh, already know that one. In the Jewish Publication Society, they translate Hillel into English in this way. Here's Isaiah 14, 12 in, this, in the Jewish Publication Society. How art thou fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground and didst cast lots over the nations? Nothing about Lucifer. 
Nothing about a formal name. Now the Vulgate translated the Hebrew word Hallel as the Latin word Lucifer and then early early English translations capitalized the L. But it wasn't capitalized initially. But then it became capitalized and then seen as a former name. Even when the Jewish Publication Society translated it as as Daystar, it still wasn't a proper name. There was still no capitalization there. But uh, the English translations capitalized the L. So while Lucifer and Daystar are not proper names for the anointed cherub who fell from heaven, both were coupled with Ben-Sahar, son of the morning. Provided a good description of this cherub before he rebelled against God and was cast out of heaven. So both translations give a good description of the honor and the light that the cherub once had and lost and that should be a reminder of the devastating consequences of sin against God. Now since the time, uh, since the time this cherub fell from heaven, he no longer deserves any such honor and certainly no kind of a honorable descriptive name is that. He is no longer the bearer of light and he no longer shines as a day star or as a morning star. Even though his fallen cherub is able to transform himself into an angel of light, in reality, he is the bearer of darkness and the son of darkness or the son of the night. He is not that of the day. He opposes God and he desires to devour those who love God. First Peter 5.8 tells us about that. Now, the Hebrew word for which opposes or that which goes against is Satan. That is the Hebrew word for that which opposes or that which goes against. It is Satan. So the Hebrew word here in Strong's Dictionary is defined as this. An opponent, uh, Satan, the arch enemy of, of good, adversary, yeah, uh, the arch, arch enemy of good or the adversary. Uh, Satan is an appropriate and accurate name for this fallen angel. And so more often we refer to him as, as Satan. But Lucifer is not a name of Satan. It is not a name that God gave him when he created him. It is a name that uh, Jerome gave him. Well, he didn't even give it to him as a name. He used a word to describe him, which later became a name, even later than the 4th century. So that's where Lucifer comes from. Now, Satan's goal is always to imitate so, so as to deceive into thinking that he is genuine. In Revelations 22, 16, I, have Jesus, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Now, if you were Lucifer, how, if you want to imitate the things of God, boy, won't you just love being called the morning star? When we call him Lucifer, you are more calling him the morning star than anything else. But I don't call him the, the morning star. Jesus is the morning star. Now again, the word Lucifer just means a shining one. It was often used to refer to Venus or the morning star. Not necessarily a proper name for it. So don't, uh, don't get that confused. But Jesus is the one who is called the bright and morning star. In Revelation 22 and 16. In 2 Peter 1.19, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. So, 
Those are just some things on, on Lucifer, on that name. It's not really a name for him. We should call him, call him Satan. Most times you see me put Satan in an outline, I don't even capitalize it. Because it's a descriptive term, it's not a proper name. It's describing him. He is one who opposes God. But Lucifer is not a name for him. If you want to give him a name of anything, call him the devil. So get back here to verse 9. Get Michael the archangel and contending with the devil. When he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Now this is very similar to something that happened in Zechariah chapter 3 in verse 1, but I put in there verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read the whole chapter here. It's kind of interesting to see this. In uh, Zechariah chapter 3, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest. Now this is the angel that came in to talk to him. Standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. So here's the two characters that we have in here. You have Satan on one side and you have the angel of the Lord on the other. Now we know who the angel of the Lord is. That is the Old Testament version of Jesus Christ. Possibly Archangel Michael. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuked you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuked you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Now this is Joshua the high priest. This is the high priest during his day. This is the guy who's supposed to be the, the uh, doing the most honored, the most holy uh, acts in the temple. And it says that he's standing there with dirty clothes. Talking about probably more talking about the sin that he was that he was in. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. And he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you. See, the garments are are figurative. And I will clothe you with rich robes. This is the angel of the Lord. And I said, Let them be let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and they put the clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by and the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and if you will keep my command, then you shall also judge my house and likewise have charge in my courts and I will give you places to walk among these who stand here. Here, O Joshua the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a wondrous sight, a sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon the stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. Now, this is not the same instance of the contention over Moses' body, but you can see some similarities here. We have the phrase, the Lord rebuke you. That's a similarity. The name Michael does not occur at all in this passage with Zechariah. And there's no mention of the body of Moses. Because this is a different instance. So it's not the same, but you see a lot of the same things coming over. And if Michael was the one, well, Michael was the one in Jude who said, the Lord rebuke you. 
Look at what happens here in Zechariah. What does the angel of the Lord say? The Lord rebuke you. Same exact words. But there was a heavenly conflict that occurs in Revelation chapter 12. And uh, let's just read that, verse 1. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Now this woman with the twelve stars, of course, this is representing Israel and she's going to be giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. We know this is the... Uh, the beast of the, the book of Revelation. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. So now we're seeing how Satan was involved in this, this beast of Revelation. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. This is the persecution that is to come against Jesus. And of course we know that when Jesus was born, Herod was the one who was used to come against him and to try and, and kill him at his birth. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up to God and his throne and then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that she would she should feed her there 1,260 days. Now you can look at this two ways. One, that the child is, is Jesus and when he is caught up into heaven that uh, the persecution was turned from Jesus himself into the, the offspring. Or you could look at it this way, that the child began with Jesus and continued with the church because we are called His body. And when it is called up, we're talking about the rapture of the church. It would seem the second would have a little bit more weight to it only because as soon as that is called up, and the attention is, is drawn towards the woman. This is, uh, then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. And we have a lot of the, uh, terms used in the, uh, in the tribulation period. A lot of the time frames are used here. And so it would seem to have more indication that those time frames kick right in if the child being pulled out is the rapture of the church and not the ascension of Jesus. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. And so they are kicked out. Now, he is not kicked out of heaven until midway through into the tribulation. That's when he gets kicked out. So he can apparently still be up there accusing the brethren all that time. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. What's he called? The devil and Satan. Doesn't ever say Lucifer, does it? Who deceives the whole world. He has cast to the earth and, has, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. 
Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that his time, that he has a short time. He knows that once he is kicked out of heaven, that the clock really starts to, he can count it. Three and a half years I got. And that's it. <clears throat> He's smart enough to know the, to know what's in the Word of God. And the Word of God clearly states it. When he gets kicked out of heaven, that's the midway part of the tribulation. And that's where the real bad stuff happens on earth. Because he's apparently not up in heaven spending any time accusing the brethren. He's spending all his time down here on earth oppressing them, coming after them. Now, when the dragon saw that he'd been... Well, which verse did we leave off at? We read that one? Yeah. Now, the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth. He persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Remember Jesus' warnings. When you see the abomination of desolation set up, flee to the mountains. And he points to certain mountains. We're not supposed to flee to the Poconos. People in Denver aren't supposed to flee to the uh, mountains out there. The people of Israel are supposed to flee to the mountains that are over by the Jordan Jordan, these are the mountains that they were cursed from or tried to be cursed from by uh, Balaam and Balak. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened his mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, this is called a war. And the word used here for war in the book of Revelation is the Greek word palamos. palamos. This, that is the word for a war. And it means a, a battle, either a series of battle or a, an entire conflict of a war. What we see in the book of Jude is not this word. We don't see war. We see contention is the word that is translated. The, the Greek word is diakrino, which is contention. It's, it, this seems to depict more of a courtroom conflict than a war or a battle. So it, it's not like they're fighting over the, uh, the body of Moses when he uses this particular word. If he was talking about a battle or a, a fight, there was other words in the Greek he could have used. If he meant an all-out war, he could have used the one that was uh, used here in Revelation. But it doesn't seem to be what he's he's describing here. It seems to be more of a courtroom battle. And he's trying to, maybe through accusation, uh, whatever it is, contend for the body of, of Moses. And even in this, this particular battle, Michael does not use any kind of terminology to just d- defame his character. He says, the Lord rebuke you. But apparently Satan is not successful in what he's trying to do. Now, why would there be contention over the body of Moses? We never hear about this. And there's nothing in the Word of God that tells us that this happened. We actually have absolutely nothing in history to pull from to know what Jude is talking about. But it's very clear in Jude's mind, and it's very clear to the people that he's writing to, they all know this event that they're talking about. 
So the speculation is that this event described in one of the books of the Apocrypha that was lost. Or, one of the books that we have, but a part of it was lost. There has been some reference to a particular book of the Apocrypha, which does not contain this account. It may have been in there, and that section of the book was lost, or it may have been in a whole other book that uh, we just don't have anymore. Another thing, it could be something that was passed down through tradition. There's a lot of things that are passed down through Jewish tradition. Every once in a while, I find some things, bring them out to you, that's not in the Bible, not written anywhere, but the Jewish people have passed it on from generation to generation, which they are very good at. Many, Many things have been passed on from Jewish generation to generation and have stayed extremely accurate. So maybe he is referring to something like that. But whatever it is, Jude is validating this as being something that occurred. He's not contesting that, that, well, that never happened. He's using that as an example. Even when that did occur, he says, Michael did not use this type of, of way to, uh, to come against the devil. He didn't use that. Now, there's two possible reasons that I can think of that this, that Moses' body would be, um, would be a point of uh, contention. And the contention would seem to be more his position in heaven accusing before the, the throne, just as what happened in the book of Zechariah. That type of a setting would seem to be what was going on, that kind of contention that was there. And in the book of Zechariah, of course, we have the archangel who was the defense attorney. And here in Jude, it may be that either Michael was the defense attorney or Michael is, in fact, Jesus, the angel of the Lord, and standing in as the defense attorney. So whichever way it goes, we had the same result. So I only came up with two. First off, that Satan knew his body would be worshipped and thus a stumbling block to Israel. If you could produce Moses' body, would not the people of Israel wanted to worship it? I mean, they were mad with him all the time when he was alive, but now that he's dead, I mean, they, they worship everything else. I mean, they took that, that serpent that they put on the stick for people to get healed and they started worshiping it. So if you're going to worship a, a serpent on a stick, I think they would probably become, become worshipers of Moses' body. Or if they had a grave and they could point to it, they would always come to that grave, just like we see many people do today. They go to certain people's graves and they come and they basically worship those people because of whatever they had done when they were here. And so this could be a great stumbling block for Israel. Maybe Satan saw that he could do this and had some kind of a legal way to try to, to do this. Uh, but another one, I think, may have may have some more merit to it, and that it could have something to do with his being one of the two witnesses. Because the key for him to be able to be on the earth and doing miracles is he has to have a body. There has to be a legal right to be here, and that is his physical body. We've uh, told you before, when Jesus was here with a physical body on the earth, he did miracles. When he was resurrected in a resurrected body, he did no miracles. No miracles of healing, no miracles that affected people. He did the one with the fish, but that didn't affect anybody. That was just, that was just fish. But up until then, he did things that affected things, uh, what was happening on the earth. So that may be that Satan knows Moses is coming back. And if I can take his body and do something with his body, then he will not be able to be used. So he's probably trying to use some kind of a legal loophole to 
have access to the body of Moses so that whatever is looking to be done can't be done. So we're either looking at uh, God is going to resurrect Moses and bring him over into the future or God already took him into the future and did that then brought him back into the past and buried him which is something I've proposed a few times. And then maybe he uh, just wants to get that body back because it's already been done as far as him going forward and being the, the witness. But whatever it is, it's probably something along these two lines. But we don't know what it is because we don't have the, uh, the story that Jude refers to. All we do know is that Jude is saying it did happen. It made it in the Bible. It got inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we know from that that whatever occurred is certainly something that actually did happen. And it probably happened in heaven. Don't get the picture that there's this fight down on the earth that uh, Satan is, I want that body. It, it seems to be more of a heavenly conflict like we had the, in Zechariah. That's why I wanted to read the Zechariah account to you so you could see that. And here's, a, here's another situation, different from this one, but here's the setting. And we have more of the setting that went on there. So since we're lacking the setting on what Jude is talking about, Zechariah may bring us some help. So here we got Satan. First off, I put that little blank there for you. Satan is not Lucifer. That is not his name. He does not have any, have any kind of a fancy name. Title. Lucifer is a Latin name. It is not a heavenly name. It is not even a Hebrew name. Tell you the truth, Michael is not Michael. I don't know what the, the father calls him. We'll get to heaven. We'll find out. We get to heaven. God's going to call him by whatever name he has. And maybe now he's got the name Jesus. But we'll have to wait till we get to heaven to find all that sort of stuff out. So Satan is not Lucifer. He is a light imitating deceiver. That is who he is. He is a light imitating deceiver who will use whatever he can to distract from the light. If he can get people to worship the body of Moses and distract them from the light, he is going to get them to do that. Whatever it is that he can do to distract them from the light is what he's going to be out there to do. So he is a light imitating deceiver who will use whatever he can to distract from the light and corrupt the light we have. He always wants to try and sneak something in to the light that we have that alters it a little bit. And then once we've altered it that little bit, then we can, uh, then he can alter it some more. And then just alter it just uh, a little bit, a little bit more. Because if you alter the light, you will change its function. Just like if you have a, the sun beating down upon us during the day has some health benefits. Vitamin D, we know we get vitamin D from it. Uh, there's other things that are beneficial. It's good to be out in the light. It's good to be out in the sun. Don't stay hold up in the inside. Uh, not only does your, your skin get kind of uh, pasty from what it should be, uh, God wants us to have the color that the light uh, brings in. You know, no matter what color our skin normally is, well, our skin has more color if we get out in the light. And He wants us to be out in the light. It's a good thing to be out in the light. And that's, uh, that's certainly helpful. When I'm running in the summertime, my uh, skin gets a little bit darker. It doesn't get real, real dark, but it gets a little bit darker. I can tell in the, I'm out in the summer. You go out there in the wintertime, you got more stuff on. So the sun can't hit you. 
But either way, you're out there and there's some skin that's exposed. I get lots of vitamin D. And vitamin D is good. I had a conversation with John one time. We were running. And he says, yeah, he says, my body doesn't absorb vitamin D. It doesn't seem. Because he's actually been tested. I've never been tested for it. But he's actually been tested. And he said, even when I was running all these miles, he had a time when he was running a whole mess of miles. I was out in the sun all the time and he runs without a shirt on. I don't do that. He does. So he's getting all kinds of sun. And uh, he said, I didn't get any vitamin D. They kept telling me you have a vitamin D deficiency. So he had to take special uh, uh, supplements. I've never been tested. I don't know. <laughs> I just, I just going on. Until I have a problem, there's no reason to be tested, right? I just, I just go out and, and get in this, the sun. I don't take vitamin D supplements. I drink milk, and I guess that has some vitamin D in it, but I don't know how good that is. But uh, I get out there in the sun. But get out there in the in the sun, take on the light. But if you if you were to take a magnifying glass and you were to take that sun that has benefits for you, benefits for you, and you were to take that magnifying glass and concentrate all that sunlight onto a certain spot, what would it do? It'll get it'll burn some stuff up. That's how you can start a fire, and it can it can be destructive. It can be uh, beneficial if you you know know what you're doing with the thing, but it can. Um, it can be harmful too. You can burn your skin. You can uh, you can do stuff that's that's not so good. But that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to get in there and he wants to take the light away from its intended purpose and alter it, corrupt it, change it, so that it's no longer coming in and doing something positive. It's coming in and it's doing something negative. And we may not even realize it. We may not even be able to uh, tell right away that it's doing something negative. You know, we all know that if we get out in the sunlight, you know, you got to put some stuff on to make sure you don't get sunburned. Because sunburn's never good. I don't like sunburn. And um, now you know, I go running with John. John doesn't mess with anything. He's I don't he don't, he don't get burned. Uh, we have had that conversation. He just runs, no shirt, no um, no lotion, nothing. He just goes and he never gets burned. And uh, I tell him, he says, no, I I spray some beginning part of the spring. I spray my shoulders with, uh, uh, what do they call it, the suntan lotion. I spray the, uh, Pam, no, not that. But I put that on. And I do that for the first, I'd say the first month when we're in into the summer session. And after the sun beats down on me enough enough times, then, you know, you, 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 my skin gets a little bit darker, gets more used to it, and then I don't need to mess with it. And I don't have to, to be concerned. But up until then, I can come in with red shoulders. And, you know, they kind of hurt. We don't want that. So once I do that and I get accustomed to it, then the light's not going to be uh, be hurting me anymore. I don't have to even think about it. I just go out in the sunlight and uh, and we just go. But he he's out there to try and deceive. That's why we've always got to take what we're learning from the Word of God and take it back to the Word and compare it to the whole Word of God. We can't just compare it to one or two verses of Scripture or just the ones that I want to hang on to. i got to take it back to the whole Word. What does the whole word have to say on this thing? And to, uh, and, and to meditate on that. One of the reasons why we've always, I don't know how many years it's been. I, I ought to look that up sometime. But, you know, we didn't always start out giving you outlines, but it didn't take us too many years until we figured out the best thing to do is to write up an outline. So even in this day of digital and all that sort of stuff, we still give you a paper outline. And you can go get it digitally if you want to. We put it up there for you digitally as well. Because I want you to be able to go back and to, to look at all this and to check it all out. 
and to have it. So whenever we take on a topic like just this one right here, how many verses of Scripture did we look at? We didn't just look at one or two. We looked at a whole mess of them because I want you to see what the Word of God has to say about all of this so that you have an understanding of it. You can go back and, and meditate on it to make sure that the light doesn't get corrupted because that's what Satan wants to do. He used to be one that had the light in him, but now he doesn't. So, if you remember a story in the Word of God where Solomon had taken shields of gold, which are absolutely useless as shields. A gold shield is not something that you want. It's too soft. You take, you hit a, a nice hard sword on that thing and that thing's going to not do you much good. It's going to shatter. It's going it, to, it's not going to help. But he wanted them for show. So they were just the show shields. And they would go in and they would get the show shields and they would come on out and they would be gleaming. And then when Rehoboam took over, he lost the battle and the king came in and who uh, beat him and took all the gold shields. And so he went out there and he made bronze ones. And he put them in place. Bronze isn't as shiny as gold. But he tried to imitate what he had. Like, we didn't lose anything. We're still okay. Satan's out there trying to show, I didn't lose anything. He still has light. He does not have light. But he will pass this off. And you listen to some of the people who have bought his light. We're not talking about unsaved people. We're talking about people in the church who will spout the light the devil has sold them on as if it is actual light. And to people that walk in the light, you say, how in the world do you even think that's true? But they do. Because Satan has sold them on it. So we have to be careful. He knows what the real light is. He knows how to sell people on the fake light. And to get people to be, to be used to it. Fake light is almost as good. Look at all the things we can do with, with this. But it's, uh, it is not as good. It is not helpful. It will not benefit us. But this is who Satan is. He is not Lucifer. He is not the one that has light in him. He is a fake light. And he is there to, to battle everything about God. His true description is Satan. But he is called the devil. As far as we can tell. He is never called Lucifer. But be on the lookout. He is the bearer of light. And now that you have a good understanding of Satan and Michael, this is the comparison that Jude is making here in this, in this scripture. So keep all that in mind because next week we're going to look at how he's taking this comparison and using this into the, the rest of it. But it, it would help us to understand fully what Jude is trying to say here as far as Satan and Michael are concerned. Father, we thank you for the example in the Word of God that we have here with Michael and with Satan and the battle that they had, the contention that went on between them, and that all that Michael had to say was, the Lord rebuke you. And that was sufficient. And we see even in the battle in, in Zechariah where, once again, Satan is contesting the right for the high priest to be in where he's at. But the angel of the Lord stood up for him, took away his ratty clothes and gave him new, and qualified him to be in that office. I thank you, Father, for the same thing with us. That though the accuser of the brethren is up there day and night making accusations 
against the saints here on the earth. We have an advocate. We have the angel of the Lord, Jesus, who stands at our defense. And he doesn't lose. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.